Hi, everyone. I want to start off saying that we have a problem. For women entrepreneurs, the number one structural barrier is actually attracting investment. And if you've been paying attention, the recent investment injection of $350 million to Adam Newman, who is a white male founder, I believe his company is called Flow. He's well-networked within the VC community and a former founder of WeWork, which was, by the way, a failed IPO. This sent ripples across a startup community that has long been accustomed to disproportionate investment funding. And time and time again, we see these stats. And there are less than 3% of female founders and less than 1% of female minority founders that actually receive venture funding. So welcome to Tech Uncensored. My name is Hesse Jones. And we're talking today about the plight of the underestimated founders. And underestimated, by the way, was provided to me by Giselle Mello, which I thought was an awesome term because it actually takes a look at the number of founders that are out there that just haven't had the opportunity. But if they're given the opportunity, they would be able to shine like everyone else. And they've constantly or consistently been actually running up against this impenetrable ceiling. This is summed up nicely by a colleague of mine who works for TechCrunch. Her name is Dominic Midori Davis. And she said, one cannot out-educate, out-network, out-assimilate the systemic barriers that are designed to discriminate against them. So this week, I'm pleased to be joined by Stephanie Lip, who is founder of My Co-Futures Atlantic. This is a next-gen materials clean tech startup. I'm also pleased to be joined by Azar Azad, who is founder of AI Valley. And Azar is developing an AI-powered GI endoscopy video image analysis, as well as a, sorry, and a speech recognition solution. That's a mouthful. I'm sorry. And both of them, I'm pleased to also uh, welcome two emerging fund managers. So Brian Duarte of Black Tech Capital, as well as GP Matter Ventures, Giselle Mello, who are both endeavoring to actually build equity in the VC system. So welcome, everyone. So let me start with the questions. Actually, let me start with this first. Um, Morgan Stanley produced a report called the Trillion Dollar Blind Spot. And what they concluded was that if we removed this blind spot, that women-owned and minority-owned businesses could account for almost $6.8 trillion in gross receipts. That's if they match the current labor force and business revenues equal to the traditional firms. So it exposed this um, highly risk perception-based compla complacency that existed in the, that exists in the BC world and the in, inability to actually admit that there are these embedded processes or values built within a system that actually limits the ability for many of these investors today to actually look beyond what has seemingly worked. And so most investors perceive that the funding landscape to be balanced and that multicultural as well as women-led businesses actually get the right amount of capital that they deserve. But in reality, these businesses only receive less than 80% of 
80%, sorry, less capital than businesses overall. So I'm going to ask the first question to Stephanie, first of all. Tell me a little bit about my co Futures Atlantic and what you're building. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me, Hesse, and thanks for everyone for joining us today. So Microfutures is building a new material. We, one, are former mushroom farmers, so we're extremely passionate about the potential for fungi to make all kinds of solutions from materials to packaging to health. But we're also really passionate about the problem. The fashion industry is a huge polluter throughout the supply chain. And then when we dig down into leather, there's just lots of problems from mass farming, methane, uh, the processing of leather itself, the chemicals, long time it takes to decompose. So by combining two of these passions, we really decided to dive into the solution. <laughs> we didn't always realize how difficult it would be to do a startup when we were Marshall Farmers. We were going to be place-based in a small town, an SME, and we're looking at that kind of future. But um, jumping into a biotech startup opened a whole can of worms and a whole other universe that we really didn't know anything about and we're still learning. But the upside of that is that we can take our big idea and have a big impact with it. So it's really interesting, but really exciting to see where we can take this with such a meaningful impact on the environment as a larger piece of the clean tech solution pie that we really see with all the other clean tech startups we've been getting to know during this experience. Thank you. And so you are a woman founder a woman of color. And so everything that I talked about earlier about this risk wall and the fact that investors traditionally are having a hard time seeing over this wall and which is twice as high for minority owned businesses, more minority and women owned businesses. What is your reaction to this as a founder who's actually trying to build this amazing new material in an industry that's already like really hard to, to actually emerge from. I also didn't realize myself that there was such a gap. I guess that's part of the problem. A lot of people just assume there's equity, that there's accessibility for all types of founders. But when I got into the startup world, I realized that there are lots of barriers. And just by looking at the numbers, it's, it's obvious. And it's, I really shouldn't have assumed that there was as much equity as I thought there was. And especially doing it in clean tech and learning about past famous founders, as you mentioned, Adam Newman and some of the other ones that have been able to get away with a lot of things that I just don't think I would. And so it, it does make me nervous about how we're going to move forward with um, a startup that has a really long runway, a long time to revenue, even longer time to profitability. It's a little bit hard sometimes at the beginning to know whether it's because we just truly are early or if someone of a different background would have been given the chance to be funded at these early stages, early risky stages, if I look differently or if I had a different background. That being said, I do live with a lot of privilege where sometimes people don't always assume that I'm a person of color, but I do also feel other in these more traditional white male arenas. Also having a diverse background, I don't have the degrees or traditional academic background. So I do find that when a certain type of person is a dropout or didn't go to university, they're like, wow, you're, you know, you went away against the grain and you did all this. But then people ask me, like, can you really deliver? How can we prove to people or have confidence that you can deliver if you don't have these? So that's something I've definitely noticed already. So as we open our angel round in the next coming months, it'll be interesting now that I'm more attuned to these 
intricacies, how that will affect the opportunities that do come to us as we raise and go forward in our business. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'm, I'm going to turn to Azar, uh, Azar because this is not your first rodeo. You built businesses before. And so tell us a little bit, first of all, about your startup, at AI Valley. And then I'll do a follow-up question about your current raise and what challenges you're facing and maybe the dynamics between you and investors as you engage with them during your pitch. First of all, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and it's an honor to be with Stephanie and Giselle and Brian. It's a thank you. I really appreciate that. First of all, AI Valley, we started to look at using machine learning and deep learning technologies for quantitatively analyzing medical images. The reason for that is the gold standard for us so far is clinicians are visually looking at the medical images and making interpretation, analyzing it. In many of the drug development projects, we actually using the key opinion leaders to confirm the drug is effective, especially in cancer. That means before the treatment and after the treatment. And imagine if you are just looking, visually analyzing, and that's one of the major criteria for you, how many errors you can have. And the interpretation is not really a solid methodology, but that's what we had for many years. So that's what we started. And we focused on colorectal cancer because endoscopy is the gold standard for it. And colorectal cancer is still the fourth cancer cause of death. And if you detect it at the earliest stage, is one of the best cancers because you can treat the patient and the financial impact, the quality of life, especially quality of life for the patient is very much better than if you miss it and get it, let it go further. That's the reason we started. And we pivoted because of the economy, because of not being able at the start to raise enough funding even for it. The fact that there is a, there are giant companies available and talking about the same technology, but nobody delivered. Many people told me, how could you do that? So when Stephanie, your quest, you have been hearing all of those questions. Yes, I heard a lot. People who even recently in the fundraising that right now I have, and I'm very conservative about financial projection. I never had a hockey stick. That's part of our nature. You are very conservative, called conservative. But the guy actually asked me, I don't think you can make it. But right up front, you can't make it. How can you sell 100 devices? How can you sell? These are the attitudes that sometimes you face. But there are also amazing groups such as Brian and Giselle and some of the other VCs that started to come in and invest in women, invest in, in minorities and people of color. The social groups that are supporting also started to get really supporting a startup company. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for your, for telling us about your experience. I'm going to turn it to Giselle, who is the GP at Matter Ventures. So tell us about your story. Like, why did you start Matter Ventures? 
as an entrepreneur. So basically, like, I'll give you a little, like, quick little snapshot of who we invest in. And that pretty much tells you why I started Matter Ventures. So like you said, Nancy, we invest in underestimated founders. But it's since evolved to say we invest in underestimated founders with a mamba mentality. And so if anybody knows Kobe's mindset around being having a mamba mentality, these are founders that have likely spent their entire lives experiencing setbacks, but just ultimately decided that success is their only option. And so that's the reason I started Matter Ventures. I was in their shoes at one point, experiencing some of the things that have been said in this session already, but you just decide that is not the game that you're here to play. You're here to win. And I figured out a way, even though I didn't get the capital and you have setbacks and people that will judge you before you, you know, a word comes out of your mouth and the numbers sometimes speak for themselves, but they don't even get to that point because as you walk in the door, they've made their decision. That's the reason I started Matter Ventures is because I experienced that, found my way past that, built enough, I guess, personal capital and still recognize that there's like this, we're going to this, demo, like the demographics, we're undergoing this huge seismic shift right now. It's interesting why we're still called minorities. Um, but the economy, I fundamentally believe, I've always said this, will grow in the hands of visionary, diverse founders and women. Or is it because we're the smartest bunch? No, I think it's because we're underestimated. But by 2031, half of the North American population will be made up by, by this group of individuals. So for me, as much as it's a, it's a personal thing where I've overcome it and now I want to make that path for other founders with that mamba mentality easier, it's also math, right? I like math. I was never the best speaker or writer in the class, but I understood math. And so if half the pop, more than half the population of North America, we haven't even touched globally what that looks like, but if more than half the population in North America will be in the hands of diverse citizens, and we're seeing the tremendous shift in businesses being built by this group as well. To me, it's like one plus one equals two. In both cases, that's where I'm going to put my money. And so what I believe is Matter Ventures was built for that reason. And so when this moment to unlock the most significant investment opportunity, some people will call it an arbitrage opportunity if you're hardcore in, into the investing space. And this opportunity presents itself to at least the investors who have invested in Matter Ventures. They get it. It's an untapped market, probably the best opportunity, biggest opportunity that they have not even experienced yet. What do you do? You invest. So like I said, I like math. Diverse founders and women are my number one draft pick. And let's go. So you like math, but as today, women VCs only represent 1% of those in the VC community. So yeah. it's going to take time. And it's going to take more than that. It's going to take more than just money as well. So, yeah. So, I mean, I know you're enthusiastic. I know you're gung-ho. I know you're young, so you can do this for a while. But what does that really mean to you as an emerging fund manager, the fact that you have this uphill battle? Well, is this a question for me or for everybody? Yes. No, for you. Question for me? Yes, it's like, it's like this. And I, people throw things at me all the time. Like, Giselle, you don't understand how hard it is, hard hit is. But where am I going to spend my time? Where am I going to spend my energy? Where do we focus our time and our energy and the things that are like working against us? Or do we find the networks, the people in the capital that at this point in time are moving us forward? I don't have the luxury, and I'm going to call it that, like many founders, Black, Latino, people of color, women, 
I think the thought of spending so much time focused on the things that are coming against you is a luxury. At least I don't have. And, but it's for the reasons you said. So if I don't have that luxury, I'm going to choose to spend my time and my energy with people, networks, and places and things and that are going to move that needle forward even a little bit. But I'm also here for the long run. I understand that any good investment takes time. Any shift that's been going on for 400 years takes time. So I'm here for as long as I live. I'm not that young, but for as long as I'm here, I'm here to play a long-term game. So who's with me? Or I can be like, and I recognize, let me be very clear. I recognize the uphill battle, but I, have, I don't have the luxury to fit and focus on that. I just don't. And so that's my position. I'm not saying it's right and I'm not saying it's easy, but this is what I mean by mama mentality. The luxury is not there. <laughs> so where do we put our time and whatever we have, where am I putting it? I'm putting it to win. Okay. Who's with me? Thanks, Giselle. Brian, do you have the mamba mentality? <laughs> Come on, for sure. I mean, I mean, I echo everything that Giselle's saying. It's either, you know, she's fully right. What she's saying, don't have the luxury, don't have the time to worry about what you're up against, right? And as Stephanie brought up, I mean, I recognize my own privilege. I recognize my privilege as a male. I recognize my privilege as growing up very much in white spaces, right? So I'm going to use that privilege to try break down those barriers, right? Go in. So, and then I recognize where you haven't asked a question yet specifically, but no, as a male, I know if I'm going and talking to female founders, I was going to miss things. My first co-founder, she was a woman GP. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to continue on. I went out specifically looking, saying, I need another woman co-GP to be on my team because she's going to recognize what I don't recognize. So I know I'll have my own unconscious biases as a male. And that's why I said, I need to have a woman co-GP as part of my team to, to make sure that I'm not missing what I'm missing. So along those lines, so this unconscious bias as a male, the full male person in this panel. It seems to be, I mean, so there are two things that are against us. Like we have a system that is run by, let's say, white male investors. And so they seem to be the ones that are dictating process and how they interact with founders. And so when we talk about the systemic barriers, it seems to me that they, the poor study actually came out with this saying that the way they, um, the investors interact with founders is very different in the way they interact with male versus female. It, they've indicated that males will receive more questions about the upside and market opportunities, which are more promotion-based questions, whereas women, female founders, will receive questions that are more related to potential loss or risk or market fit, prevention-type questions. And those who actually receive the promotion questions, which by the way are males, will actually get six times the probability of, of receiving funding six times more than females. So how do you stop or how do you actually curb some of the, these biases that are already out there? It already fa favors male. And this investment community seems to be somewhat resistant to change, Brian. So I'll answer it the way Giselle answered math, right? 
you look at, so in the Canadian ecosystem, we've got two places to look to say, how do we change it? We look at the BDC, which is one, at least by investment volume, is one of the largest BC investors. And they have put out through diversio studies now. So asking anyone today, whether they're investing into it or funds they invest into, have to disclose the statistics. So being a government organization, we as a population need to be putting pressure on them saying, make sure those numbers are coming out. Their last reports to me are too aggregated, like especially when it comes to minority groups, they're grouping us all together. To me, it needs to segregate it between Black, Indigenous, Latino. Let's see what the actual numbers are. Same with the um, CBCA that represents, you know, a lot of the venture funds across Canada. Let's look at those numbers and then the pressure needs to be put on. The VC firms need to have in their representation more female partners. They have to have more racial partners, BIPOC partners. So that's the only way it's going to change. And to me, from a background in the energy sector, in a lot of smart metering sector, you can't change it if you're not measuring it. So to me, that's the first place. We have to get down to the nitty gritty numbers. A lot of the numbers we have in Canada on the stats that you're quoting are North American and more US-based. We need to see what the Canadian numbers are and start working to change those. So, and it's going to take funds like Black Tech Capital, like Matter Ventures, others out there like BKR Capital and Ventures that are focused on overcoming some of these things. And, and it's, it's a process. It's a long game. It's not a short term. This is going to change overnight. And we always have to be careful. Like right now, when I look at the BDC and I see their leadership, I see actually another bias going in of white females, right? And so they don't have, there's no racial makeup inside the senior executive of BDC making these decisions. And I've already heard it saying, so this is down some of the earlier stages, but women of color are being overlooked, right? And so, and again, there's another level of unconscious bias. So it's, we always have to be checking ourselves and asking those questions. Where's that? And you're right. You bring up the report by Morgan Stanley. And I mean, there's other reports showing that teams with the female executives, female founders earn anywhere to 15 to 60% more money, right? Diverse founders, diverse teams have exits that are 30% higher. So the numbers don't lie, right? So if you want to do that, and then especially when you're looking in the clean tech space, I wouldn't want to leave out founder that's going to make the next difference for our planet just because of some unconscious bias. So it's something that I always ask myself. It's something that we as a team are asking ourselves, and it's something that we keep, need to be putting pressure on everyone and bringing this conversation up like you are today, here today. Thank you. Thank you. Now I'm going to ask both Stephanie and Azar, like based on like everything you heard today. And I mean, your motivations to try to make changes in your respective industries is admirable because you two are also playing the long game. But what would you say to other, let's say young entrepreneurs who want to make a dent in this space? and who know that they're going to face this kind of adversity, especially female minority founders. I'll start with Stephanie. Well, I think no matter how hard it is, and we're still in the hard part, if you really believe in your solution, you love the problem, you love the solution, you just have to go for it. Because as much as Hollywood and news and 
real crime shows make it about becoming famous and rich. Like no one really does this to become, you can't possibly get into this just to assume you're going to be like rich out of it. You're doing it because you really um, love what you're doing, especially in impact fields. And you just have to constantly strive to stop being the exception, but like change the rules so that you're part of the next set of statistics that are more positive. Just something I want to add in response to, you know, what Brian and Giselle were talking about in terms of the attitudes of VC. Like I attended an info session about finance where I learned literally the history of how venture capital came around. And the presenter said it was about looking at patterns and like, what's the pattern of a founder that grows fast and has access to a market? But those patterns are set by the traditional old guard where so how can a woman, how can a person of color, how can someone without a strong academic background ever fit into a pattern when those patterns traditionally excluded all of those things? So I don't really have an answer how to fix that, but it's just interesting to have that in my mind now. Like, um, it's okay to break the pattern. Like, we can't, I can't look at it where I need to fit a pattern. I have to find ways to break the pattern and then convince the VCs that it's it's a good bet. So that's just something interesting to talk about. Again, even with the questions, like they're looking for a pattern of answers that promote what they're looking for. But if we're getting asked the wrong questions, we're never going to fit into that pattern. So I guess the starting point is thank you to Giselle and Brian for those type of funds that are trying to see past that and to promote past that. And I guess founders need to talk about it. Everyone needs to talk about it. We can't stop talking about it because as I just didn't know how my demographic was targeted other people just might not know somehow so if we educate then we'll make a dent okay is our it's something you said is very nicely but there is a way there is always a change when there is an imbalance and it's it doesn't matter you look at the investors or entrepreneurs in our culture in our society that distribution of the funding, a distribution of opportunities is not there. And it's not just one aspect. It's a wave that has to change all of our society. We if we provide the opportunity for the kids in the high school, for all of them equally, then you can expect that many of the kids from the minority or many of the new immigrants who actually escaped to save their lives, the parents did. They deserve these opportunities. So it's not just one aspect, but I'm very grateful. I have to say compared to five years ago, now there are so many women entrepreneurs with the financial capability or exactly as Giselle said, with the understanding of the financial system that now are able to risk and are putting their themselves in front to support other entrepreneurs. And that's a very positive aspect. I'm very grateful for that one. And is it simple? No. Who said it's simple? Entrepreneur's life is just full of fun because of the challenges. So it's not simple, but it is doable. It can happen. And as long as we do not give up because of the attitude of some people and stay to change the norm, what we call it, as a pattern that they get used to it, as long as we really don't give up and be resilient, I believe there is a change and it is going to happen. Thank you. Okay. We're running out of time. I do just want to get one question in. I'm going to throw it to Brian and to Giselle. Do we have a pipeline problem? That's the argument because BC say, hey, if we had 
more people to invest in and if there should be more than enough racialized founders, we would definitely invest in more. What do you say? Uh, Giselle, you want to start? Sure. <laughs> I always laugh at this one. Not because it's funny, unfortunately. It's not, it's not a funny joke. It's this ongoing discussion about the pipeline problem. So there's, maybe I'll make three points. One is in life, perception's reality, right? Meaning how we view the world is largely influenced by our personal experiences in our environment. And so like if an investor has been accustomed to a mental calculation of what a successful founder looks like, any profile outside of that is not going to fit, right? So that's, oh, that's number one. Number two, in business, and I'm not sure anybody would argue this point, relationships do deals that money can't. And what I mean by that is relationships are not formed based on numbers. They're formed on commonality of experiences. And personally, as a founder who experienced all these adversities, some of the greatest opportunities I had was after forming certain relationships with no less or more capital. So those relationships or those networks opened doors for me that money couldn't. And I'm making a point here. But the third point is pipeline. Like who, who is saying that there's a pipeline problem? The people saying there's a pipeline problem are the people who have that mental, like the, that mental calculation, right? And who don't have access to the networks of founders that are building game-changing companies. So if you don't have access to the network and you've already decided what that successful founder looks like, of course you're going to have a pipeline problem because you don't know where to look and you don't know how to make the, cal the mental calculation. You don't know how to shift that mental calculation. So for me, I think the pipeline problem is real. It's not made up, but it's real to those who hold that mental calculation and don't have access to the networks, if that makes sense. Yeah. The third piece is there's some people who will throw that up as, a, as an excuse. And there's nothing we can do about it. If they've decided that there's a pipeline problem or they're using that as an excuse, because in the back of their minds, they don't have an interest or an intention at all to make that investment in women and underestimated founders. And we can beat them down as much as we, we want. They're not going to change their mind until maybe the herd, which is very investor-based, right? It's people say investments are made through calculations. While well, we've seen, I think, yes, you, you've made that example of an, whether it's a Newman, uh, FTX, whatever. There's been many cases because those are the televised ones, but I'm sure there's many smaller cases that don't get talked about where deals get done and they just flop and they were done for all the wrong reasons with no due diligence because the founder just looked a certain way. So let's just put the money there because they're comfortable in that space, even taking the hit. And I'm going to say this, whether you're a VC or you're a pension who's responsible for the livelihoods and uh, retirement, half, more than half of which are people of color and women. But yet you're making these, your, these decisions based on what? Based on comfort based on a certain profile. So it's not, there's no pipeline problem for a set of people who understand there's no pipeline problem. But if you've decided there's a pipeline problem, I promise you, I'm not the girl who's going to go and change your mind because you've made that decision. And again, like Kobe, me, once I've made a decision, I'm not negotiating with myself. So if you've made that decision, that's on you. As far as I'm concerned, we're going to keep building. And those who understand the opportunity that's in front of us, We'll take that opportunity. And over time, like anything, the herd will follow. And they'll see there's no pipeline problem. Well so, said. Thank you. Ryan, I want you, I'm going to give you the last word. 
<laughs> I'll echo everything that Giselle just said. I mean, I equate it to if you're going fishing in the same pond that you've always fished in, you're not going to find any different fish there, right? Because for me, there's no lack of pipeline problem. My problem is I have too many, right? There's just so many. So, I mean, which is a great problem. I get to say no, and I get to pick the best of the best. I see a lot of overlooked, uh, underinvested, underestimated founders that to me, they're further along, have more resilience, more grit. So it, it's a great investment opportunity. Back to Giselle's point about pensions and so on. When you look at what's happening, say, in the ESG space, where you're looking at some minority shareholders putting pressure on large corporations, the people that have money in pension funds, the teacher's pension fund is one of the big ones that threw away what's a billion dollars or whatever, that $100 million in FTX, right? I don't know what diligence you said they did. We can start putting pressure on these organizations to say, this is our money. This is our retirement money. We want it to go into these spaces. Show me how many women founders you're investing. Show them how many racialized groups you're investing into and put the pressure on that way. Because, I mean, I'm quoting Jeff Sear from Raven Indigenous Capital. He said, keep the pressure on. And all of us, it's up to us to keep that pressure on to make this change. Brian, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, everyone. That's all we have time for today, unfortunately. I want to thank all of you for coming and talking about this hot topic and being very transparent about your views because that's what we need to be able to make a difference. So I'm going to end the broadcast. Stay tuned, everyone, and come back next week. Same uh, Friday, same time, 1230 to 1. And in the meantime, have fun and stay safe. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Essie. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Tech and Censored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemex. For more Tech and Censored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.